Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Never before in the history of sports podcasts have two men brought you opinion and analysis like these two. They speak for a city that's desperate for wins and titles, not whining and travesty. You might not agree with what they have to say, but you'll defend their right to say it. Sports fans across the world, from Chicago, Illinois, this is The Mac and Reed Show. And good evening, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Mac and Reed Show right here on the Barroom Network. Follow them on Twitter, of course, and and all the social medias. You can follow Ross and myself. I'm at the real Evan Mac. Ross is at Ross Reed. Hope you've caught up with the show on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and quality audio and visual programming from Barroom Network. Hello, Ross. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Just came off seeing Cocaine's Dr. Seuss over at Radius uh, yesterday. <laughs> For those who don't know, that's Pusha T. That's a great right. show yesterday. He played in all the hits. That's right. We'll be playing all the hits today. We've got a lot to discuss, talking Bears uh, and OTAs, and mm-hmm. the finals is split, and game three is tipping off in a little bit, in about an hour, mm-hmm. and other sports headlines and other headlines like poor Michael B. Jordan and Nick Cannon having another child. And then as we teased earlier, you know, with Rolling Stone having their 200 greatest hip hop albums of all time, we're going to give you our top five. We're not going to give you 200, but we'll give you five. I could give you 200, but I'll give you the top five. Ross and, and I yes, and finish I, the show with that. And I promise you, I will have uh, Illmatic higher than Invasion of Privacy. Wasn't that I was going to, man, you just, you just took the word. It's like we have. It's like we have this this chemistry. Uh, it was upsetting. Yeah, to like. I mean, in all respect to, you know, fucking like Little Wayne was ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but who else did I see? Oh, I saw. Yeah, like Future. Is yeah. Future in the top twenty five at this point? He would not be in a top twenty five album of mine. No, but yeah. Illmatic. <laughs> spoiler is in my top five. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of East Coast love. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. But to begin, Ross, we'll talk some bears. Yep. What's on your mind besides these? Uh, this that was a weird sort of uh, the losing the OTA practice for an on-field like mm-hmm. contact violation, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was, and I mean, it's not surprising to me. I, you know, typically when we look in the past of, of teams that have done these kind of infractions before. Um, you see a lot of um, new regimes do it, I think, because when you get a, uh, a new general manager like Ryan Poles, and most importantly, you get your new ca- uh, head coach, Matt Everflus, who um, he's got a lot of Tom Thibodeau in him, in my opinion. He's just a real hard, hard ass, a, a hard nosed guy um, who's you know a, a grinder and, and wants his guys to come uh, mentally and physically prepared every single week. And I think that he just wanted to make a statement to his team and he didn't care. Uh, about the slap on the wrist that the NFL was going to give them, which is they lost an OTA day. But he's trying to send a message right now to his young football team that I need you um, showing showing up to to OTAs early on, mentally, physically prepared, and I want you you know lean and light and, and be ready to to hit um, because that's only going to pay off in August. So um, 
it's not that big of a deal to me. I think if they would have kept pushing the buttons and they eventually could lose a draft pick, it's happened to Seattle in the past, then it becomes a bigger deal. I think a, a lot of people on Twitter yesterday made it a bigger deal than it should have been. Um, it certainly feeds into the meatballs that that love that to, to kind of see that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, they, you know, he, he pushed the envelope a little bit. He knew what he was doing. They got caught and no harm, you know, no harm, no foul going forward. I'm pretty sure that they'll stay on, on the tight and narrow going forward. As they should. And it's an important time for all these new faces on the Bears and the old ones just kind of building some chemistry right now. And the headlines, you know, again, like Aaron Rodgers pointed out in a press conference, it's just a lot of people are grasping for some sort of headlines at this point in June when we're, uh, you know, a couple months away from the season starting. But Justin Fields apparently tearing it up in practice and David Montgomery and, and the offense with this new look Bears, there's some making some waves of of course it is OTAs but uh but exciting to see you know because the big thing we've we've harped on during the pod during the podcast during the show is that you know there will be a lot of competition to see who's top dog uh, behind Justin Fields and this new offensive line needs to get some chemistry together yeah and we saw we just saw like literally like a minute ago the uh the Bears official Twitter page uh tweet out a a video clip of Fields throwing the football to um to to Valuse. Uh, to Fulus Jones there, they, they're going to really push that tandem. I, I know a lot of people um, have high expectations for the Fields, Darnell Mooney uh, tandem going forward, but I think uh, the Fields, Fulus Jones one is going to be very lucrative for the Bears and um, for uh, selling a lot of hype going into the season, and that's why they keep pushing it early on. They want you to get excited about that pair. Um, uh, just about the young, you know, receivers in general, and they want you to kind of gain some confidence for Fields. Um, I think we saw today also the the coaching staff tinkering a little bit with the offensive line, um, just kind of trying some guys out, seeing you know how guys work. I, I think they're doing a lot of experimenting right now and, and giving some guys some first team reps because it is still very early on. We're we're in you know this this OTA mini camp phase right now. The Bears will have another one coming up June fourteenth to sixteenth, and then after that. We'll see you uh, out in Lake Forest in, in you know in late July for a training camp. But I think right now the coaching staff is just trying to see like who, like I said earlier, who's mentally, physically ready to go early on because those guys are going to deserve the reps early on. We saw even you know uh, a week or two ago it wasn't that big of a deal, but they had Jalen Johnson not running with the ones, and, and just because he didn't show up to to, to OTAs you know on time. And that's just kind of sending a message to saying, hey, listen, yes, you're going to be our number one corner. We love you to death. But right now, you're no different than any of the other 52-plus guys on the roster. And you need to get your shit together coming into this because, you know, everybody thinks that we're going to win five, six games this year. And we need to prove to them that we're more of an eight, nine, ten win football team. And I, and I like it. I, I, I like what Everflus is doing. I think he's sending a message right now to the entire football team. I think these guys will respond. They're young guys. They're hungry. They are, a lot of these guys on this roster are, are looking to to stick on the roster and hopefully get you know a, a decent contract going forward. And, and I think they're going to respond very well. And it obviously starts with with number one, the the QB one at quarterback. Yeah, no question. But Averflus got to set the tone. And and uh, you know, going back to what we were talking about that practice the other day, that 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 goes along with his sort of coaching philosophy it was funny to see matt Nagy's presser as far as old coaches go the other day and uh and akeem hicks 
just throwing throwing his quarter, Bears quarterbacks under the bus here. <laughs> and, and you know what? I mean, where was the lie, right? Like, like I, I understand that you know a lot of fans got you know upset and, and and they're like, why are you taking unnecessary shots? But I don't think he really took an unnecessary shot. The guy played. His everybody ass gets off. to play with Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Fair. Where was the lie? Bears have had quarterbacks since. Look, I'm 40 years old. I've, they've had quarterbacks my entire life who can't deliver the football on time, who has accuracy struggles and stuff like the that. Majority. So absolutely like he didn't lie he told you the truth and and you know hopefully we've got a quarterback now that will buck that trend right but you know i didn't take offense to what akeem hicks says i still wish him nothing but the best we said that last week go out there and go chase a ring with with tom brady and you know at this point you can't really um dwell on what old what, what now former players he's a former player you're right like you can't take that stuff personally or to heart anymore just go out there and 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 prove him wrong in some capacity, right? I mean, he he told the truth. You're right, no man. So, you know, it, it, a lot of people got upset yesterday about that on the timeline. I was perfectly fine with it. Who gives a shit? That keeps it real. That's what Akeem Hicks said. Mm -hmm. So, what else during OTAs at this point are you looking at, Ross? Are you looking at more defensive battles or more of this offense getting some some chemistry? Yeah, what I like to see right now is. Um, a lot of these guys are coming in lighter, especially the offensive linemen. Cody Whitehair came out today and said that he's 10 pounds lighter. We talked yeah. about Tevin Jenkins a couple of weeks ago being about 20 to 25 pounds lighter. That leads me to believe that um, the conditioning is, is doing a lot of great things over the summer, I, that these guys are coming in uh, a lot better shape, which means that their conditioning is going to be better as the season goes along, as you play four quarters in in in, in football, remember, you know, extra game, you know, second year of, of having an extra game, these guys start to tire out a little bit, especially if they're carrying extra weight um, and you're able to hold up uh, from an injury standpoint when you're in better shape. It also points out to me that from an offensive side of things on the offensive side of the ball, the Bears are going to want to move Justin Fields around a lot more. We talked about um, a week or two ago about how good he was on, uh, on play action and on rollouts and stuff like that. And, you know, they're going to be able to move the pocket for him, get him out on the edge and make some plays. But in order to do that, you need, um, you know, agile offensive linemen. They're in better shape and they're able to move a lot better. So that's what that tells me just from a scheme standpoint. And even with running the football, they're going to run a more zone scheme um, and, and have each other kind of, you know, match up in space against uh, defenders, which is exactly what you need in this NFL the majority of uh, defensive snaps are in the nickel, which means you're going to be seeing leaner line, leaner uh, linemen, faster linebackers, and extra DB on the field. And you need offensive linemen to be able to maneuver and get to the second level and get to those guys. Yeah, you get go from the defensive linemen to chasing linebackers and going to the second level, like you mentioned. I know in the chat, Cliff was asking about what Cody Whitehair said about practice just being different this More year. Times, it's failed yeah. shot. You know, that's every coach is going to be different. I'm sure Nagy still had intense practices and it's it's going to be a different coaching style completely when Cody Whitehair has only known that as far as his professional career, I feel like. So veiled shot or not, he is, a, he is a pro. And all these guys, if you asked them straight up in front of media, it's not like they would tear Mag Nagy down. It's, mm -hmm. it's at a point, I think all these guys in a tough, especially the guys who are, left over from this Matt Nagy era. It's bitter. It's bittersweet. It's mixed emotions. It's all this because you had some potential. You made the playoffs once or twice and 
you know what the potential was for the offense and defense for the whole team. And you got to look in the mirror in the offseason like this. And, and a lot of it's accountability when a coach mm-hmm. leaves and you can blame him as much as you want, but you got to look at yourself too. And, and the, um, the personnel that goes out there and, and the chemistry lead, but veiled shot at Nagy. I don't think so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think so either. I mean, listen, everybody knows Matt Nagy included that it just didn't work out right. For whatever reason, it doesn't mean that he's a bad guy. I still think that he's a decent football coach. He wouldn't have made it this far in his career if he wasn't a decent football coach. Right. He just didn't. A lot of guys didn't don't succeed at head coaches. Doesn't mean that they're uh, that they're bad you know, coaches or anything like that. A lot of guys need second and third opportunities to be able to succeed as well. Right. So, you know, again, it kind of goes, you know, at, at a point with, uh, with the Akeem Nixning, like at this point, you know, Nagy's not the coach anymore. So we wish him the best of luck going forward. Um, but, you know, I, I think Cody White here is, is probably right. Right. Matt Eberflus just, just brings a different kind of intensity uh, to, to, uh, you know, to, to him and to himself. And that Matt Nagy was more of a laid back guy. So, I'm happy to see that all the players are um, coming in uh, motivated and ready to go. This goes back to the the physical nature that they're all in right now. A lot of these guys are coming in shape and, and, and looking great. Um, yes, although I, I have an extensive um, health and fitness background. And, um, you know, to answer some of the questions, especially with these offensive linemen, when you're lighter like that, that means that you're able to be, um, in addition to, having better conditioning, which is what should keep you fresher on the, uh, you know, for four quarters, but your agility, your explosiveness and your power comes out a lot more when you're carrying a lot less weight. So um, I expect that a lot of those guys this year to be able to, to fly off the ball quicker, uh, which is only going to help them in the running game and protect Justin Fields when he gets out on the edge. Man, I think there's something to be said for that, losing the little bit of weight there. It also, I don't know, you can correct me if this is just bullshit, Ross, but I feel like it'll help to an extent with linemen with injuries too, just a variety of things. But yeah, the flexibility um, and agility is so important at that position. You look at the best lines from the league, you look at like Tampa Bay, for example. Mm -hmm. It's got big, big dudes, but they've also got some speed to them and any unit, it, it's important to to have that chemistry with uh, with all of them too. But yeah, there, yeah, I think the the days of like the three hundred fifty pound linemen are kind of of gone. And you know, obviously, leverage. Believe it or not, if everybody just look at me, I'm like all of one hundred ninety pounds soaking wet. But I played offensive line in high school, so I know about the fundamentals of it yeah. and how. Yeah, it's just really you wanted to have more muscle and and more flexibility was what we were um, harped on. And lower man wins. Yeah, one of the most miserable uh, positions in any uh, professional sport is playing offensive line at a professional level because those guys are constantly shoving food down their throat all day long. You can imagine how many calories you have to intake to be able to practice for three hours a day uh, and and lift and work out and stuff like that and still maintain a 300 and 325-pound uh, frame you're, you're eating six seven thousand calories a day it's just insane you see guys like joe thomas right who's you know hall of fame uh left tackle for the cleveland browns for a long time a lot of other ex-offensive linemen what was the first thing that you notice when they've stuffed the game away from the game for a year those guys have lost like 120 pounds instantly and they'll tell you listen i feel better i i, I feel you know more at myself physically it was just all that stuff that i did to my body with the food and stuff like that just took a toll out of the years. So we've seen a trend over the last couple of years. Um, I forget the guy's name, uh, the, the, the all pro left tackle and, and for the Cowboys, right? Terrell Smith, probably right. Something like that. Um, Tyron Smith. Smith, excuse me. 
That guy looks like a linebacker. Like he yeah. takes the shirt off, he's got like a six pack. He's an offensive lineman. That's the trend that you see going forward right now. Is these guys are just in a lot different shape than like Nate Newton and those guys of, of the past or, or your Orlando Paces of the world, right? Um, and it's also because the defensive ends and, and the linebackers and they don't match the, what they looked like a long time ago either. There are no, there are not too many Warren Saps of the world, you know, walking around and stuff like that, right? These guys are, are they look a lot like Leonard Floyd does right now with the with sure. the former bear and now with the Los Angeles Rams. Everybody wants to look like Aaron Donald, you know, that's the mold, whether you're offensive yes. or defensive line. I mean, that guy, he's just a freak or Miles mm-hmm. Garrett, you know, yes. these guys just are, are cut. They're ridiculous. Yeah. And they just happen to play. Imagine, um, imagine Micah Parsons coming off the edge and you're 350 pound ass. You're just not going to be able to get to him. He's yeah. going to, he's going to destroy your quarterback. You have to be able to adjust if you want to win in this guy uh, and win this league. Yeah, and that's what you know. Guys like Cody Whitehair and Tevin Jenkins are, are are training for. So it's good to see, especially from Tevin Jenkins, when there's high expectations. Good for both of them and, and the rest of the offensive line. Hopefully they all stick to that. Um, but yeah, I mean they they've got to just have some ridiculous. You, you see, right around draft time when they interview the linemen and they go over their diet to put on weight, it's just disgusting stuff. Like disgusting shit you would put in a smoothie that you would never want to put in there. Right. Like mix Gatorade and peanut butter and yeah. You're just consuming massive amounts of protein and and fat. You know, it, it, you got to try and get as much you know, uh, you know, fat in there and omega threes and 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 low glycemic carbohydrates. It's it's not a fun thing to do. It's not fun at all. I don't. I do not did envy you, those guys at all. Did you dabble with a diet at some point that was on par with the offensive lineman, Ross? I'm no, I've I've never been there. I'm about I'm about 185 pounds right now. Um, you know, at my at my most, I was like when I was playing like, you know, football in college and stuff like that, I was about 215, 220. And I can't even fathom like now trying to even get back to that that weight. Um, and I eat probably about close to 2,700, 3,000 calories a day. Um, so I, it's just an insane amount. So imagine if you got to double or triple that to play offensive line in the NFL. Absurd. So we'll monitor the Bears into the weeks coming here. And as we look at the rest of the NFL, there's some sporadic headlines. We knew that Cooper Cup was going to get an extension, get some big money. He got an $80 million deal. Uh, that's just smart for the Rams. They're loaded. They, they look poised to repeat between getting Cup back. I mean, they're still on the, you know, of the free agents that are out there. I know OBJ hasn't been signed yet. If, if he may have blown all of his, his Bitcoin money at this point in his salary, but mm-hmm. He, uh, he wants to sign, re-sign with the – I know he's busy being a dad, but he wants to re-sign with the Rams, I'm sure. Between, you know, if, if he re-signs and then you get Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup, like, good night. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I just always wonder, like, how can these guys um, keep manipulating this cap space and, and working this done, right? I mean, yeah. you know, what, they're, what they tell you is, listen, I, you know, the, they think – and they they're they're right, right? Because they've they've got a Super Bowl right now, they're the reigning champs. But they think that if you have you know eight to nine you know top heavy guys, elite guys, and all you have to do is pay those guys, then you can find these middle of the world draft picks in the in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds and be able to fill out your roster that way, right? So they have some bona fide superstars on their roster. Aaron Donald is going to the Hall of Fame. Jalen Ramsey is probably going to the Hall of Fame, right? 
Um, Cooper Cup is on a Hall of Fame trajectory right now, and, and if Matthew Stafford, like it or not, continues to put up stats now that he's got a ring, he's probably going to the Hall of Fame as well right there, right? So that's four guys right there that they could have on their roster uh, that are going to the Hall of Fame. I don't think there are too many other um, teams in the league right now that can say that. Maybe Kansas City can say that with Mahomes and Kelsey, right? Um, you know, I don't know if even Tampa Bay can say that with with Tom Brady. So, um, you know, the Rams are going to tell you we're going to pay seven, eight, nine guys at the top and then fill in our roster with, with the rest of the guys. And, and how can you blame their strategy? It's worked well. They don't care about first-round picks, right? They're going to trade them away to, to keep accumulating stars, and, and they'll find the next OBJ in the middle of the season to help them if they need to rent a player or something like that. And, you know, hats off to Les Snead and, and Sean McVay in, in that team, right? Because I think that um, it's – it's something that everybody would like to emulate, but I don't think you can. And it does start with number 99, because if they don't find him, none of this works. I mean, it's it's Aaron Donald and Lawrence Taylor, probably for greatest of all time. And it starts with those two names. And I don't really think that there will be a third name, even like a Ray Lewis or something like that, or Ed Reed. Aaron Donald is that damn good in, in, throughout his whole career. We talking best defensive player of all time? Of all time. Yeah, of I mean it's time. tough to argue. I mean he's he's incredible. His impact and and you you talked about the Khalil Mack effect when he was with the Bears and and when he steps on the field and and he was in that conversation for for a, a couple seasons there. I mean, albeit you, you start to get some age and he has a lot of career left, but mm-hmm. but Aaron Donald at the center and and again goes back to his just dedication to his his craft and fitness is just mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's hard to, you know, you talk about the Ray Lewis's or the, the Erlackers and, and there've been some great athletes to come around here, but yeah, he's making that case for best defensive player of, of all time. There's no he's question. Still, he's still playing at such a high level. You go back to guys in that draft. A lot of them are out the league already. Cal Fuller, who was obviously the pick that was right behind him to the bears is, is already on his third team now. Right. He just signed with the ball with the Baltimore Ravens the other day. Um, and, and it feels like Kyle Fuller is slowly tinkering out the league right now. Uh, yes, I have seen Lawrence Taylor. Aaron Donald is in the company with Lawrence Taylor. I'm sorry. And I love Lawrence Taylor. I still think that <laughs> Lawrence Taylor is number one, but Aaron Donald is that damn good. And that's no hyperbole. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like you go back to the eras players played into, and Lawrence Taylor was way ahead of his time, and and there's still a lot of Aaron Donald career for him to overtake LT. So at this point, mm-hmm. man, it, it's hard to it's hard to take him out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm so I'm looking at of the Rams, uh, it, you know, competitors in that NFC as a whole. We, let, we have to look at last year as far as who's going to hang with them. And I think, you know, the favorites would certainly be Tampa and Green Bay. Mm-hmm. But that just comes back to those quarterbacks, and Dallas will be up there too. Hopefully they're not one and done. I'd like to see Dak and that team start going places to an extent. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's just so quarterback heavy in the NFC right now. It is, and it comes down to, you know, as always, who which one of these teams can stay healthy, right? So I think right now – we're both looking at the Rams and the Buccaneers as, as the top two teams in the NFC with good reason. They've got two very good quarterbacks. They're well-coached football teams. They've got weapons on both sides of the football. And then who's going to be able to step up outside of them and maybe compete for that third spot? I think you would think um, Green Bay is there right now. But, boy, those wide receivers are super, are super shaky. Um, Alan Lazard, who's technically their first, uh, you know, their number one wide receiver right now, isn't even at camp. 
because he's got some contract stuff going on right now. So, you know, does that mean like a team like Dallas slides in there and we figure out, you know, we figure every year there's always some random surprise team that jumps up out of nowhere and, and makes some noise, you know? Um, I always feel like, you know, what's going to happen with, um, with, with like Arizona, right. Is, is the Cliff Kingsbury, Carly, Kyler Murray uh, relationship starting to get fractured, right? And and, and are they uh, going to take a step back and they be that playoff team uh, that they were again last year, or do they kind of start to slide and that whole situation breaks up? Um, I know a lot of people are are a little bit on Minnesota this year, but you know how do the Bears factor in with that? I I, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, Justin Fields has to put the team on his shoulders, so to speak. I think the defense is going to be surprisingly good. Um, I think that, you know, defense has top 10 potential for the Bears, especially with those two young studs, if they're able to grow up quickly on the back end of the secondary that we took in the second round. Um, but, you know, can Justin Fields, you know, put the team on his back, a la that Lamar Jackson season, you know, in his second year a couple of years ago when he uh, went for the MVP, you know, and he kind of put hit the, that team on his back with, you know, very lukewarm weapons on there. So that remains to be seen. But, you know, it, it'll be outside of those two teams, uh, Tampa and, and the Rams. It could be anybody's. Uh, it could be up for grabs for the third, fourth, and fifth seats. Yeah, it could. Uh, the teams that I mentioned at the top: Green Bay, Tampa, and and the Rams. The Cowboys up there should be somewhere in the mix of the top four seeds. But yeah, Arizona taking an extra step, another step this year for sure. And then San Francisco is right there too. It's quality organization. We'll see what the Seahawks. Have to say about that division now that Russell uh, uh, Wilson is gone. Speaking mm-hmm. of that, that Denver Broncos, you got you got two billion dollars, Ross, or four point six billion to be exact, to to buy the Broncos at this point. Just I know, I know, I know. I I can't tell you how much I I I already detest Walmart and the fact that those guys are, are buying a football team in the NFL, which you know, unfortunately to me continues the old trajectory that we've seen in the NFL. There's just no kind of diversity or no kind. It's, it's literally the same kind of people that continue to buy these teams uh, every time they come up for, for sale. And I wish we, I wish we had a little bit of a, a different look there. Um, how does John Elway feel though? Right. Do you, do you know this? John Elway was, was offered either, I think it was either like $35 million or like 20% equity in the team a couple of years ago. And he took the check and uh, hot damn, that's a huge uh, mistake yeah. right there because to have that, oh my God, to have that kind of equity right now, um, it, it, as you see what that team is going for, he made a colossal mistake. If you're ever in a position, and John Elliott certainly was in a position at that time, you always want to take the equity over the check. If they're offering you the equity, take the equity over the check every single time. That's just business 101. He blew it. But how many yachts can you water ski behind, Ross? I, listen, you could yeah, you, you could fucking water ski in a lot more yachts. That's for I, sure. I know. I know. <laughs> Even gross. if I had, you know, John Elway probably has $75, 80000000 million in the bank. Still the opportunity to to make a billion dollars. Oof. He's got to be. He's got to be picking yeah, himself right now. Continue to have that equity, like you mentioned, and that that stake. It's yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan, you did not miss the the Hop Hop albums. Those are coming next. The Hip Hop albums coming at the end of the show. That's right. But right now we're switching focus over to the NBA Finals. Tonight, game three. Mm-hmm. 
exciting. The Celtics and Warriors is everything that I expected it to be so far. I don't think we expected in game one for the Celtics to come out swinging like they did and for them to make a late run like they did um, and just put it on the Warriors. Warriors just collapsed in the fourth quarter. It could have gone up 1-0. Um, I think Golden State taking that second game. But then that first game, very uncharacteristic for Jason Tatum, missing a lot of shots, maybe just had jitters, obviously the first finals appearance. But Al Horford going to be so crucial. It looked like playoff Al, you know, throughout this playoffs, and and he immediately moved into the favorite talk for finals MVP with that 26-point performance he had in game one but it's going to be very important you know tonight if uh to set the tone you're going to need the two guys we've been talking about tatum and and jalen brown to set the tone and then that will create opportunities for al horford to clean it up and the same with marcus smart but what was shocking too is i feel like there wasn't a ton from the bench perspective as far as well Derek white just went off but but you know that carried over into game two, that's going to make or break them as far as uh, competing with Golden State. Because in game two, it looked like the Warriors that we thought, and Celtics just came right back down to earth, putting up only 88 points. Like, you're just, you're not going to win against the Warriors that way. No. And in game two, Steph Curry looked like the man, of course. No. He's 28 points. He's looking to, uh, or I'm sorry, Jason Tatum looked like he, the man, of course. He had 28 points. He was back to form, but Curry with 29. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, We've been questioning where where Clay Thompson is at. If these other guys just play complete basketball like they have been doing, and and Jordan Poole is is a stud. He's a, a great breath of fresh air off the bench um, to spell you know Curry or whoever's in the backcourt who needs to go out. You don't even necessarily need Clay Thompson, who's one of the best catch and shoot catch and uh, shoot shooters of all time. I mean, it's absurd. But it's been a great series so far. I, I'm. I don't know who I'm leaning towards in game three tonight, but we, we talked about Scott Foster reffing and, and that would certainly be the Celtics. If you're a betting man. Yep. So, so you got, you got two things tonight, right? You got Scott Foster. The Warriors are undefeated in these playoffs uh, when he has officiated a game. Um, but they're also wearing those weird home jerseys that they wear sometimes tonight, like those retro kind of home jerseys. And they're four and two in those jerseys this postseason. So something has to give uh, tonight. Um, I, I think that Draymond Green is not getting enough credit for his impact on this series so far, especially in game two. But um, he's the kind of guy we as you know, he's a, he's an agitator. He gets underneath your skin. He's going to do a lot of the dirty stuff on the court to, to put his team in position to win. And I thought that he took over that game in game two and really took the Celtics mentally out of their game. And I, I thought he got I thought he got into the head of Jalen Brown and Jalen Brown ended up picking up a foul when Jalen Brown was kind of rolling and that changed the momentum of that game. I thought Grant Williams was absolutely awful when he kept uh, you know being after it with Draymond. And Draymond started playing great defense. He started facilitating the ball. He's barreling guys over to get Steph curry open and these are just the kind of things that he does i think that every every championship team needs a guy like draymond green to dirty it up i think we've seen guys in the past from your dennis robbins of the world to your she wallaces bill lambeers and then you know we can go on and on about these enforcer types right that that kind of can change the game and, and change the series I'd be curious to see if the league uh, and the refs tonight allow him to keep doing that kind of mucking it up, dirty stuff. Um, because right. if they do, the Warriors are going to be in another good position to win the game. Um, circling back to Clay Thompson, I think that 
you know, Clay's certainly not the guy that we used to see, that we've, we're used to seeing, right? I, he's lost a step. The guy's had a torn Achilles. He's had a torn ACL. Um, this is his first real season back in, in, in over two years. Um, but I do think that we still get a classic Clay game at some point in this series. And remember, the guy did have like 36 uh, points in a closeout game last series. I, I do think that he's he's poised, he's poised to get one. I think that we've seen in the past Clay can actually get cooking a lot on the road. Um, you know, we can all remember the, some of the OKC, OKC games he has, some of the games against the Cavs in the NBA Finals on the road. So I wouldn't be surprised tonight if Clay comes out and hits about five threes and, and really uh, it could be a backbreaker for the Celtics. I, I still lean Golden State just because I think they do have that experience. I think they're still the ones moving the basketball the best right now and, and playing the better defense. I think, the, I think they took their foot off the gas in game one because this should be a 2-0 series right now. And um, I just don't see a veteran team like that doing that again. Um, but, you know, I, I still feel like it's Warriors in six or seven. I think that they'll split this series in Boston. And then heading back to, to San Francisco, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think the Warriors, that's when they kind of take control of the series. Well, this is weird. The pregame warm-ups in Boston had to be paused because the rim on the Warriors' side was slightly dirty higher. Dirty Celtics, dirty Celtics. That's you know, one way to stop Steph Curry, right, is change the height of the rim. <laughs> That's the only way, I suppose. <laughs> it's, you know, pulling a Draymond and taking him down. Did Jalen Brown get – get, uh, or was was Draymond going for Jalen Brown's shorts, you think, trying to pants him? <laughs> he probably was. He probably was. That's classic Jay. That's classic Draymond. He's an agitator. Yeah. Of course. You can't let that get underneath your skin. I thought that the referees were right. I don't think that was a double technical. I don't think Jamon Green should have been thrown out the game for that. These are the kind of things like like when you get into the NBA Finals that makes this series fun or else you just – to me, if it was just pure basketball, it would be boring as shit. It'd be something I don't want to watch. Like, if you've seen the same two teams, and, and we've been watching basketball for months now, I want to see some some something unique. I want to see some action. I like when these players get underneath each other's skin and, and, and get a little detest for each other. That's what makes this series fun. It's going to be really interesting night to see, you know, how they attack Draymond and, and and what does he do and, and how the crowd is going to be yelling at him. We remember what Boston did a couple of weeks ago to Kyrie Irving, right? And, and that was just insane. And you know Draymond's going to walk into that stadium tonight and say, yes, bring it on. And, and he's going to you know, probably thrive off of it. It just depends on how they're, uh, they're, they're going to be calling it tonight, how Scott Foster's going to be calling it. I, I'm, and he loves a nasty crowd like the Celtics, you know, will be booing him. And he just he brings it all in for, for the bad guy. So he's, yeah, he is very much in that, that mold of Dennis Rodman, of a guy who's like a, an agitator like that. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you, like Al Horford won't put up two points in this game. He's going to have another similar game to game one. If him and Jalen Brown can get it going, they'll, they'll have a shot. But it looks like the Warriors game one was just kind of a fluke where they didn't finish. Mm -hmm. And offense, I know Nomad was talking about it like, you can't just run iso ball against the Warriors because all those guys can shoot threes. And with Draymond, he's not looking to score. He's looking to facilitate and call plays and and defend. Well, they held in holding the Celtics to under 100 points. You're going to you're going to win every game that way. But yeah. I think there's something to be said for again. We were talking when we were previewing the finals last week, how both Boston and, and Golden State's arenas, there's two of the toughest places to play in the league and the crowd has to factor in to an extent. And if you're going to fuck with the rim, that, that has, there's something to be said about that too, but I'd give the warriors the slight edge. I, you know, those streaks are made to be broken. Like the sky, the Scott Foster, you know, yeah. 12, you know, yep. reference for the Celtics or whatever.
Yeah. But I, I wonder. I wonder with with uh, Gucci Mane light what the what their record is. <laughs> and uh, you know who you get tonight at halftime for uh, for a performance. You get Nelly tonight. What? Yeah, Nelly's performing. I have no clue why Nelly's performing. What, what is the connection there? At halftime tonight in Boston. I thought uh, you just said Dropkick Murphys or something. Oh, oh. no, they're one or Boston song. Boston Nelly. <laughs> yeah, they're one song. New edition. New editions from Boston. They could have had new oh, edition. I'd take new edition. I would take new edition too. But <laughs> shout out to Nelly. Uh, Nelly's, al- Nelly's album. Uh, not on my my top five hip hop, but. Uh, I appreciate his contribution to hip hop. I, I, I think he gets more. He should get more credit than he gets uh, for for the run that he had in the early two thousands. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll get to the top five in a little bit. I'm liking the the contributions from Jordan and the guys in the chat. That's good. Absolutely. But yeah, other things that are trending is we're just whipping around here. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Uh, how do you how do you feel? Poor poor Michael B. Jordan also at the at the finals game, just looking like his heart got broken. I thought they were the best couple, him and Lori Harvey. I was also like two days ago, like this old, when I found out that she was Steve Harvey's daughter. I had no yeah. idea. It's like, like his. It's not his, it's not even his biological daughter, but obviously when he. Uh, uh, it's it's his second wife's daughter from another relationship, and then Steve just uh, you know adopted her. Uh, but um, the whole thing to me throughout the whole time, it, it felt fabricated. It felt a, a very fake. It felt like two people who were were in it for uh, to to help boost each other's uh, relation uh, off. Uh, you know, the, media following whatever. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I think they'll both be okay. They're both young. They're both very attractive people. Uh, MJB is, is is shooting Creed three right now, um, and and Lori Harvey will go back to to making clothes that are overly priced in Nordstrom right now. Um, and they'll both be okay. They'll both find new different people, and, and they'll be on Instagram real soon. He's Mike. Yeah, he's and Mike. she's Lori Harvey. Yep. He will. Uh, he was uh, sitting very sad at the game the other day, but you know it could have just been acting, right? But he was sitting next to uh, his buddy Corday, who's a very great up and coming uh, hip hop artist right now. If, if you have not yeah. listened to Corday's music, he's dating Naomi Osaka. That's his okay. very famous girlfriend. Um, but uh, Michael B. Jordan would be okay. But shout out to Michael B. Jordan because uh, last week was the 20th anniversary of The Wire. Yeah. Uh, which, as we all know, that's where Michael B. Jordan got his uh, his, his start at. On where's Wallace, man? That's yeah, really on where's TV Wallace? and film. Yep. Then he went on to Friday Night Lights, and then he uh, went on to doing a bunch of good movies like uh, Chronicle. You ever seen Chronicle before? No, I never. I missed the Friday Night Lights train too. By the way, Friday Night Lights is good. It's good. I, good show. I didn't yeah. know he was on there. Yeah. yeah, good show, good show. But yeah, he did a movie called Chronicle right after that, which is really good too. It's a super like underrated cult classic film he's got some decent films chronicle okay yeah. what was that about it's about these uh these young guys in high school that are like um they're they um they find like a rock in the forest or something like that and the rock gives them special powers for like a day and they just go over the top to abuse these uh, powers and, familiar okay and, and bad things happen and, and it gets a little wild but it's uh it, it sounds like a stupid premise it's actually a super entertaining movie. If you can find it, I'm sure you can find it on streaming somewhere. Check out Chronicle. It's really entertaining. Yeah, right on. Aldo's saying, you you look like you could be Michael B. Jordan's brother. Just, that's <laughs> that's much, a nice compliment. Yeah. Much older brother. 
<laughs> it's much older brother. Ah, oh, give yourself some credit. Uh, Jamie Foxx has been trending because he's going to be portraying Mike Tyson in a biopic. And if if you, you're a fan of Jamie Foxx, man, I'm excited to see that because he does a phenomenal Mike. He's just so good at impressions. But, you know, we've seen Ray. We've seen him do Mike Tyson before, yep. just jokingly. And he, he does a great Dave Chappelle, too. I saw that uh, a few weeks back as well. But that's going to be I have. I've often called Jamie Foxx the most um, talented individual of our of our lifetime. Um, if you've ever seen his stand-up before, he's hilarious in stand-up comedy. The guy is a Grammy award-winning R&B singer. He's got an Oscar, uh, obviously, for Ray, and he's been a, a, a very successful movie star as well. He started, of course, with, with sketch comedy and in Living Color, which is a, a, a classic show. The guy has just done it all. He is super talented. He's going to crush uh, crush it as Mike Tyson. Yeah, can't wait for that. How many kids does Nick Cannon have now? I've, I've lost count. Him and he, Philip Rivers are like competing for the biggest goddamn they are. Family. They are. He's up to like nine or ten right now, I believe. Unbelievable. It's Unbelievable, just, this guy. And he's dropping an album, which he can absolutely keep. I, I'm, I'm good on that. <laughs> that won't crack the top five. <laughs> no. I, I couldn't imagine that. Uh, happy birthday to Kanye West, turning happy 45. Birthday, 45, absolutely. Is he in your top five somewhere? Uh, his One of his albums is in my top five, absolutely. You know that. As it should be. Yep. Are you uh, caught up on Kenobi? Are you watching Stranger Things? I, I've never been a Stranger Things fan. I bailed on it after a few nuts. episodes. You're nuts. I'm not into it at all. I um, Yeah, I, I'd rather just watch Goonies over and over again if I, if I wanted that kind of... 80s, like, 80s nostalgia. Like uh, no, I'm saving uh, Obi Wan to to kind of binge it. So um, Star Wars to me is like I, I love Star Wars as a franchise and all the spinoffs and stuff like that. But I got to be in the mood to to really get after it. So I'm saving those for for a nice like Saturday afternoon where there's not some any sports on or anything like that. So I can just kind of knock out all the episodes at, at once. That's fair. They're, well, I think, like halfway through. It'll yeah, they're almost done. Good. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a storyline, of course, with, with Darth Vader and, and young Luke and Leia without spoiling anything. So that's yeah. that adds to it. These, these one-offs are just, you know, they're almost more successful than the franchises themselves. It's mm -hmm. interesting to put yourself back into the, you know, the first three episodes, one through three, I feel like we're obviously just heavily criticized. And now following that up it, and picking up like nothing it just left off. It, it's an interesting approach, but even McGregor as Obi-Wan is, is great. Mm -hmm. And obviously going to tune into the Mandalorian and, and Boba Fett, and whatever else they, they throw at me at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And what else we got, Ross? I think we're ready for our hip hop into conversation. This, huh? into this list. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. All Should right. We talk well, some, uh... I'd say, yeah. So first of all, uh -huh. I, I'm loving the contributions again, going back to the comments, Jordan, is giving us his top five, and I respect it. He's putting beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. I like that approach, too, because mine is 90%, 80%, excuse me, if out of top five, is East Coast, mm -hmm. and then one Midwesterner. But mm -hmm. putting out Illmatic in his top five, mm -hmm. putting AT Aliens in there, mm -hmm. beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. Mm -hmm. Buster Rhymes, putting 2001, something with Buster. Extinction yeah. level event. That's a great album as well. What, yeah. So what didn't make the top five? So a couple of honorable mentions for me, right? I don't have any Tupac, even though Tupac is is 
uh, my favorite rapper of all time. I, I love Tupac's overall body of work, but I don't have any of Tupac's uh, albums in mind. Machiavelli is probably my favorite Tupac album, so is All Eyes on Me. Um, I don't have Jay-Z's uh, first project, Reasonable Doubt, even though I find that in such high esteem. It's not in my top five. Um, I love Marshall Mathers LP, but that does not crack my list as well from Eminem. Um, no DMX, even though it's dark and hell is hot, is might be number six <laughs> on my list. Um, same thing with Carter Three. No Little Wayne for me, but that's a, a big album for me as well. And I think um, the last two albums that I, I wanted to to really sneak in there, um, Clips. You know, Lord Willing is is I oh, think man. one of the most underrated, amazing hip hop albums uh, of time. And Ghostface Killer Supreme Clientele. I wanted to put that in there. Um, yeah. It's one of my favorite. It's probably one of my most re-listenable uh, hip-hop albums of all time, but it doesn't quite crack my top five. But I got some diversity on there. I got some ones that you're probably going to see that are really obvious. And um, But yeah. Yeah, got- we'll definitely get some overlaps. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, with Future in the top 20, it just threw me off. I surprisingly, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if you, you're with me on this, but I don't have... I don't have Kendrick in there and I could probably take out one and put in to pimp a butterfly or, or even damn. Yeah. I don't have any Jay-Z in there. I don't have DMX. I don't have Eminem. Yeah. Uh, DMX, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Matt villain, you know, had some pretty outstanding albums. There's just a lot from the nineties era that I feel like had a, a bunch more complete albums that I really enjoyed and could listen through all the way. Like, you know, look at Lauren Hill, Miseducation of Lauren Hill didn't, mm-hmm. didn't make it in there. And then mm-hmm. you just got to make those tough decisions because there's an artist you like that has, you know, three albums that could be in that top five for you. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to a lot of Chicago rappers. Obviously, we both have a Kanye West album in there, but he can have yeah. multiple Kanye, uh, albums in there. But even Chicago artists, B, you know, Commons B would be in my oh. top 20. Um, Chance, Chance the Rappers, I don't know if you call it an album or a mixtape, I don't care, but yeah, acid, rap, rap is, acid Rap is one that holds up in my top yeah. 20 as well. So, you know, shout out to a lot of Chicago guys. I even like, you know, Chief Keef's first album is is kind of where Drill Rap was was birthed. And, you know, he, he needs to get some love as well as, as one of the hip hop greats. It was in Rolling Stone's top 25. Th- mm-hmm. These lists are just absolutely impossible, by the way. They are. So, like, they are. take it with a grain of salt. There's there's obviously going to be some sort of bias in there, too, from your own. Yeah. And, I mean, my top five changes from year to year and, and sometimes, sure. and I go back and I listen to some stuff, and, you know, sometimes the miseducation of Lauryn Hill is going to sneak in there for me, too, because it's just such an amazing album for me. But, you know, these these five right now, I feel I feel really good, really good about Supreme clientele, just circling back to that real quick, just so good. is so good. an incredible solo project. We've, you know, a lot of people forget, not forget, but I feel like they just take it for granted that Ghostface Killer just went off in Raekwon. I feel like they had probably the best, you know, individual MC careers post Wu Tang Clan, even though they're still obviously performing. They'll be in Chicago in September mm-hmm. performing together, like they're still all boys. But, but Supreme clientele just, whoo. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heat on that, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's give our fives. What let's do we got do here? Five to one. Five. Uh, what is five for you, Ross? Number five comes from the uh, best hip-hop group of all time, in my opinion, and that is Outkast, and I have to go with Aquamanai. Aquamanai is an absolutely perfect album for me from track one all the way to the end. Um, it 
it, it changes up in so many different ways. It's such a funky album, but gives you just that classic hip hop. Those, it has those commercial uh, great hits on the whole album. It is one of my favorite, most listenable albums of all time. I think, you know, Outkast really hit their peak with that. I know a lot of people are going to have Stankonia on their list, which came after Aquamanai. But for me, Aquamanai is still their best album and my favorite from them. It's in my top five. That's great. And, uh, you know, I almost have to apologize to Outkast because they're they're not in my top five. And yeah. talking about Outkast, one of the best hip hop groups, in your opinion, the best hip hop group of all time. There's There's a lot to be said about that right there but those projects were all just dynamite need to give them their due and speaker box and the love below is pretty great like even though they were kind of like feuding at that time and just did their individual thing that's like an insane double album but number five for me as i said very east coast heavy uh and we're talking about the wu-tang clan and enter the wu-tang 36 chambers back in 93 i mean just just hit after hit man i attacked your neck that what's that protect your neck <laughs> protect your neck bring the ruckus clan in the front. Yeah. yeah man i mean cream is just incredible method uh-huh. man uh it's it's all just just dynamite and and the rizza talking about best producers of all time uh it's just nuts protect, protect your neck i think stands out so much on that album because it just showcases all of these guys can rap just give them a verse smoke on the mic like smoking Joe Frazier, and then it just goes from there. Just incredible with Method Man, the RZA, the Jizza, Raekwon Ghostface. All these guys are just nuts, lyricists, old dirty bastard. Uh, Just incredible. You got even Mm -hmm. the guys like you don't really think of these days. But it was all really carried by RZA's production, you know, looking Mm -hmm. at the old Kung Fu samples and all that. And then really, you know, 90s, you're still learning about sampling and all these sort of old soul samples. You're set it's the first time you're hearing like Otis Redding and Gladys Knight being sampled and all these other guys. And it's just nine guys who are just on fire. Just what a group. If you ever, if anybody who has invested in a good stereo system or speakers or anything like that, play cream as loud as you possibly can. And it just, it it hits every single time. It's such a perfect hip hop track for me. I love that song so much. Even still to this day. Number four. Number four. It's to me the most glaring mistake on Rolling the Stones list. Um, I have to have Illmatic on my top five. It's it's in, it's number four for me. It's Nas's uh, you know first solo album. It is an absolutely perfect album. I love it so much. I go back to it all the time. It's a click. It's a it's a quick, clean ten tracks. Boom boom boom. In and out. The production's amazing. His verses are timeless. It's absolutely outstanding. Um, I, I think it's the one album that a lot of people, especially from the New York area, really referenced when they started to make their own albums. I think even guys yeah. like Jay-Z and, and Biggie and stuff like that. And, you know, Nas, who is still going strong to this day, just won a Grammy last year for album for rap album of the year. It, man, it, it is an absolute classic hip hop album. And, and the fact that uh, Rolling Stone didn't have it in their top five let alone top 10 and had cardi b's album ahead of it is Barely an absolute, made the top 25? it's an absolute travesty it's an absolute yeah. travesty it's ridiculous i think that was just a, a tactics just to, to get them get the people pissed at rolling stone mm-hmm. but i'm with you number four illmatic mm-hmm. another new york guy nas in in just a year after wu-tang basically uh illmatic is is bananas and and nas coming on the scene 
with this and the list of producers on this. When you had Large Professor, you had Pete Rock, you had DJ Premier, you had Q-Tip. Uh, the features are nuts. It, it tells that story. It was, again, at this time where you didn't hear a lot of MCs just, just rapping about you know, their lives in New York like that and, and growing up. It, it was such a jump off for all these producers I mentioned, but you, you look at the songs in halftime and it ain't hard to tell. And mm-hmm. uh, again, going back to the samples, like I, I love, it ain't hard to tell sample. You sampling Michael Jackson, like mm-hmm. it's insane. And the world is yours. Uh, all of these are great standalone songs, but you know, the way there's not a skippable song in that track list. And the production, it's it's very interesting, you know, when you look at from DJ Premier and on to Large Professor, like top to bottom, just the genesis, like something where something to be said for intros and setting the tone mm-hmm. uh, and going through. You feel like uh, I know that um, actually Illmatic was featured in Ozark recently. I know you don't watch it, Ross, it. but there was a whole yeah. episode where Ruth, one of the characters, was was listening to it. And it, it was a cool homage to the Nas and and he was a line she said I'm gonna butcher it was like he is looking at the Brooklyn Bridge and he he hates it but he loves it at the same time as mm-hmm. something in the essence like that and and again best MCs probably the Mount Rushmore you could make that case for Nas and this is 100%. a huge reason why 100 percent absolutely yeah and I, I love the the projects that came after it from from I am to you know he even had like Stillmatic on there as well and it was written uh, you know came after that but obviously yes Illmatic was the one that started off number three number three give it to me number three for me uh, we've talked about at length you and I for years now my dark twisted beautiful fantasy is my number third number three album um I don't think there's an album that hit every part of the best parts of hip-hop than this album right here. And he got the best out of every single person from a Rick Ross verse that I think is the best of his career to Pusha T to Jay-Z. It's, I think Nicki Minaj had the best verse of her, of her career on this album. He's got, you know, all of the lights will feature Alicia Keys to Rihanna to Elton John to Kid Cudi, to, he can go on and on. I think that Kanye West, after he had the whole Taylor Swift fiasco and the fallout after that, he, you know, as we all know, he went to Hawaii and just worked nonstop on this album, flew people into this album. And my God, is it a perfect, perfect, perfect masterpiece of an album. It, the, the second it starts with that crazy Alice in the Wonderland, can we get much higher? And, and boom, boom, I mean, his production on that album will absolutely blow you away. It's a perfect hip hop album. I know we're both fans of Dissect, and, and that's mm-hmm. a podcast where basically, like the title suggests, they go and dissect song by song albums like this one. And they've done Beautiful Dark Twisted fantasy before and talking about just the the sort of myth and the just the legend of dark twisted fantasy and and everybody gathering in hawaii like that and Mm -hmm. and this is kind of when kanye started doing that after doing five beats a day for three summers after doing his Mm -hmm. his thing in chicago and beyond like he started you know he did it for his series like daytona and yay where he was going to wyoming or whatever and fucking around Mm -hmm. but this like it is something about it it's like you said, the whole sort of cast of characters, all of these artists that came together, it's you're right. I, I think that you know there's there's a lot to be said with sampling and what Kanye did for that art form and producing in hip hop. Mm-hmm. 
but he's also been very attached at the hip. We're a guy who's like pretty underrated in Mike Dean, and he's provided a lot mm-hmm. of these guitar riffs like on Gorgeous there, and then just adding on. It's like you said, probably the best uh, verse that that you've heard Rick Ross have, and M- Nicki Minaj Monster is just, yeah. just slaying it. And again, going back to Elmatic, it's it's hard to skip any of these songs. You get all very good at, as far as like radio heavy like there's party music you can be you know going getting ready to work out things like that but you know the highlight and you could put it in some of the best songs of all time and it, it runs at nine minutes and seven seconds is runaway push a t performed his verse last night when i saw him and that is some of his best work too but it's just that feeling it gives you it's uh it, it's something else and kanye what he's you know musically going throughout his career he's really worked on his voice there's not a ton of guys out there who can sing and rap like he's doing throughout it and and sound good at it and how it's it ends with who will survive in america and lost in the world you had bony Vare and mm-hmm. it's nuts and yeah. shout out to chris rock that was great too absolutely absolutely <laughs> but, but so good at number three yeezy taught me um yeezy yep. taught you well what's your number three uh, my number three, yeah, beautiful dark twisted fantasy for all those reasons I mentioned. So nice. so far, yeah, we got Elmatic at four. Yep. Dark number fantasy, two. And the thirty six chambers. And number two, what is number two for you, Ross? The first time I was a very very young man, and the first time I heard "Ready to Die," I didn't know you could do that on a hip hop album, and it absolutely <laughs> blew me away. From "Juicy" to "Warning" to "Machine Gun Funk" to um, one more chance. I was just absolutely blown away. Biggie's lyrics were absolutely perfect. Puffy behind the whole, just putting to everything together from front to back. It's just an absolutely amazing album. Again, another intro album from a, a, a classic hip hop artist, one of the greatest of all times. But for me, Ready to Die is just an absolutely unbelievable album. I love it so much. It was one of the first albums as I was when I was a young man that really, really sold me on hip hop and, and, and really uh, brought me in. And you know, I I can remember you know grabbing that and sneaking off to listening to it. And I can remember when he was ready, when he was about to drop Ready to Die, and then he actually you know was was murdered. But um, you know, it just going back to listen to those busy, those biggie verses and the production behind it and the rise of Bad Boy and yeah, he he put that whole label on his back and that label doesn't get to where they are without Ready to Die and the things that Biggie was able to do with that album and Puffy behind the production and that's when you know Trackmaster starts coming into play and, and all these other guys and stuff like that. It's absolutely unbelievable. Wow, I can't, I could not have it uh, off my top five. Yeah, totally understand. And, and it's worth mentioning Rolling Stone had it as number one of all time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And number two for me mm-hmm. is from another group that might be the best hip hop musical group of all time. And that's the Low End Theory. And I could either put Low End Theory or Midnight Marauders in this spot easily. But when you talk about, and again, like if anyone knows me, it's Tribe Called Quest against everybody. And, and I've just loved what, Q-Tip and Fife have done lyrically throughout their career, the jazz samples and the drum breaks, everything is just, and and all these albums have just been great that they've done. But between this and and Midnight Marauders, this starting off with Excursions is one of my favorite beats out there. Um, Again, the jazz samples and the bass in it, going from that to Scenario, it's just nuts. And I, I think that, you know, if you were to put, 
you know, beautiful dark twisted fantasy, again, going back to all the features, like carrying it is Q-Tip and Fife yeah. in these mm -hmm. songs, talking out and rap promoter and talking about show business and, and jazz and check the rhyme and the rhythm uh, and sampling fucking average white band, just, mm -hmm. just nuts. And just set the tone in the nineties for, for, and one of the best, one of the reasons that Q-Tip is like top MC for me is a song like what and shows that lyricism, it was a big breakout for Busta Rhymes with Scenario. Mm -hmm. Just the personnel on that is nuts. And Alicia and Muhammad, such a good producer. I know it just, it, it it's uh, talking about all these albums. They've obviously yeah. influenced the Kanye's of the world. Yep. Uh, you know, Kanye and Common have rapped over Tribe Beats and and other guys like that. I know mm -hmm. uh, Nicole did too. You, you took taking yep. that back. Electric Relaxation, like get at it. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the wrong one. But it's just a, a phenomenal album, number two. Yep, absolutely. Number one for you. Number one, it's Jay-Z at the peak of its powers. It's the blueprint for me. It, it is a perfect album. It has the best of Kanye West on his production, the best of Just Blaze, No ID. You get Timberland beats on there as well. You get an Eminem verse on there. Um, I love everything about it. You get the classic diss, diss track at the beginning of the album with Takeover. Um, which is obviously coming at Mob Deep and, and you know a couple other guys. With that um, door sample. Woo! Oh my God! You have you know H to Izzo. You've got their you've got the commercial you know hits on there. But you know Song Cry is probably one of my favorite I you know songs on there as well. It's just a perfect perfect album. Girls, girls, girls. When that first came out, you get Slick Rick on on the uh, on the hook as well. It's one of my it's my favorite hip hop album of all time. It's an album I probably listen to front to back at least once a month i will always always go back to it i know a lot of people will put reasonable doubt in high regard but for me the blueprint is not only jay-z's best album of his career but it's also to me the number one hip-hop album of all time oh boy coming with the heat pulling jay-z out of there we, we can't tell you're a jay-z fan ross <laughs> number one for me again very east coast heavy is ready to die and biggie yeah. you know one of the top MCs of all time, everything you talked about, you know, DJ Premier was on unbelievable, just this track list and, and the story it tells and the intro talking about intros earlier too. Mm -hmm. It's bananas and things done changed. It's like setting the tone to give me the loot machine gun funk morning and, and then getting darker, like ready to die and mm -hmm. everyday struggle mm -hmm. and friend of mine, just like suicidal thoughts. Like, mm -hmm. you know, rappers weren't doing that. This really dark, shit like this like right. when i die fuck it i want to go to hell because i'm mm -hmm. a piece of shit ain't mm -hmm. hard to fucking tell like just a, a reason biggie in the and tupac like why these guys are up there in the upper echelon is this limited um you know catalog that they had and right. just really just set the tone and and did whatever they did and better bettered their art form for yeah. it and just incredible samples and uh easy moby who is like not really known besides you know working with with biggie during that time i mean it's it's great really the only feature and you know he carries that the only feature is, is a great song is the what with method man and he's just carrying it for you know over an hour and that's one of those albums you just you talked about just blasting uh as loud as you can um yeah. A, a song but like this is this is something where you kind of got to listen to it all the way through like i can if i listen to one of these songs i have to listen to the whole damn thing because it's a journey absolutely completely yeah. agree. well we have run out of show mm. uh i don't think we really missed anything nope. uh get richard die trying 
Uh, uh, a lot of the Ja Rule stuff has aged poorly for me. Uh, I would say that. I think it's a classic album. I think a lot of the Ja Rule stuff has has aged poorly for me because uh, I, I think uh, Ja Rule's catalog should be appreciated more. Yep. I would actually have the game's first album higher than Get Richard Die Trying. Interesting. Uh, yeah, the game, that game's solid too. He stays one and two. I don't know where Get Rich or Die Trying would be. I, it wouldn't be like, I don't know. I'm pretty old school with a lot of my tastes. It would not be in the top 10. I have several others, like I mentioned, that would make here. But, uh, but yeah, talking about solo, solo guys, guys that went solo from Wu Tang, like they've had some projects that stand up over here too. You talk about Jizz's release too. And then RZA just, stayed, RZA just stays so relevant now too, man. Really yeah. incredible. All right. Until next time, folks, thank you for tuning in to the Mac and Reed show. If you missed any of the show, any of our previous shows, you can check out the Barroom Network YouTube channel. You can get the audio-only version on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Follow us. Thumbs up. What's that? So hit that thumbs up. Hit that thumbs up. Hit that like. Mash that like button. Follow me at The Real Evan Mac. Follow Ross at Ross Reed. Remember, science fiction. Coming up at nine o'clock. I know they'll talk about Gore the God Butcher and they'll talk about Thor at some point, I'm sure, during our show. And they'll be talking about Stranger Things. It's a good show, Ross. Give it a chance. I will. <laughs> For now, it's deuces. Be good to each other out there. So long, everybody.